I'm looking forward to our outdoor baptism event that's going to take place in a couple of weeks. Over the past couple of years, uh, we've done it uh, in a location off-site this year. Uh, we're going to do it here on our campus. A couple of reasons that I really like that. One, it's just another opportunity uh, for us to get together as an entire congregation. And we can't do that in one service. We can't fit everybody in here, but it's a chance that we could do that. We're doing it outside. Um, and uh, it's really, I really look forward to just focusing in on those who are getting baptized and the stories that that tells. I hope that you will be here with us here on site uh, Sunday night, July 23rd. And since we're talking about baptism today, we're gonna, I, I want to... I wanted to share with you kind of a nugget from our church history. I don't know if you noticed uh, this photo in the bumper, but this is a picture of our church's congregation from 1898. This lady right here is getting baptized, and this is ice floating in the water. Don't ever let anybody tell you you're not tough, Minnesota. You're tough. People were excited. We got a dude in the tree ready to, ready to watch this. There is nothing that I enjoy more as a pastor than getting to baptize folks. Out of all the things we do as a church, we get together as a church. I mean, it's not even close. Baptism is my absolute favorite thing. Baptism is something that has become a huge deal to followers of Jesus for a very long time. It's, a, it's very important to all kinds of different churches and different church traditions. But we need to be honest with ourselves. Not only is it a big deal, the subject of baptism can be the subject of big hurt for some folks. It, it has a way of... Uh, really touching on a sensitivity that some folks have. So, baptism is simultaneously massively important. And it's a subject that can feel problematic. Today, we're going to wade into that together. We're going to talk about it. We're going to have an eyes wide open discussion. And this is what I believe, that when you leave today, regardless of where you're coming from right now, you can leave encouraged. And for every single person, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, that if you have made the decision to trust in Jesus, to follow him, whether that decision was very recent or many years ago and you've never been baptized as an expression of that, that you would confidently and excitedly take a step to do that. Maybe you would get baptized at our July 23rd event. And if anybody's wondering, why is baptism such a big deal? Well, we have Jesus to thank for that. This is something that he said Matthew was one of his closest companions. He was there. Matthew wrote this down. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why we go on mission trips. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, Jesus said this. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, shortly before he ascended into heaven. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be there? Could you imagine if we were there? You know, after we got over the shock that, okay, he was dead and now he's not dead, we probably would have hung on every word. We would have grasped at every word he said like it was the last french fry at the bottom of the back. And Jesus is, this is Jesus' last face-to-face -face conversation with his followers. And out of all the things he could have talked about, this is what he chose to say. Go everywhere, teach people to obey me, and baptize them. I just don't know how to take Jesus seriously without also taking baptism seriously. And when something becomes this profound, this important, this monumental, there's a word that we sometimes attach to things like that, and that word is sacred. And I don't think sacred is a word we should use casually or lightly. It's an important word. 
I think a lot of you know that recently I was on a trip to uh, Eastern Europe, and on the flight back, uh, we had a 16-hour layover in Paris. And what do you do when you've got 16-hour layover in Paris and no one's rioting? You take an Uber downtown, and that's what we did. And our driver dropped us off at Notre Dame, and it was beautiful and stunning to see. It was also disappointing because of all the construction that's taking place there at the cathedral. And it's going to continue for another two or three years. And you might remember four years ago, many of us were transfixed by images like this when Notre Dame was on fire. Why do I bring this up? Because I want to ask a question. For some of you, it might be interesting. For others, it might feel provocative. But the question is this. Was anything sacred lost in the Notre Dame fire? Certainly, cherished artworks were lost. Certainly, value was lost. Relics of history and relics of really deep religious devotion were lost, but was anything sacred lost? I'm going to let you answer that question. I'm not going to try and answer that for us, but I will interject this into that conversation. A symbol is not the same thing as substance. A symbol is not the same thing as the substance of what it represents. It doesn't mean that the symbol isn't cherished. It doesn't mean that the symbol isn't deeply, profoundly meaningful. And it doesn't mean that the symbol isn't extremely valuable, maybe even priceless, but a symbol is not the same thing as substance, not the same thing as what it represents. And anybody who's ever been to a wedding, I think, can recognize that. Right now is wedding season, Friday night. I just performed a wedding. And it doesn't matter whether it's in a courthouse or in a church building or some other venue. Uh, when this couple, they stand in front of each other, looking longingly into each other's eyes in front of all the people they invited, and they make some pretty serious promises. And then how do they, what do they exchange to symbolize the promises that they made? Rings. The rings are a symbol of those vows that were made. Now imagine with me that there's a couple who's dating and it's gotten serious and they go to the wedding and now it's a point in the ceremony where the bride and the groom exchange rings with each other and the dating couple looks down and they notice they're both wearing rings and they exchange rings with each other. Does that make them married? Well, no, it's a silly question to ask because we intuitively understand that a symbol is not the same thing as substance. And I think it's to our benefit when we talk about baptism, to at least bring into the conversation the importance and the power of symbolism. I want to make a few observations. Symbols aren't necessarily sacred, but what they represent can be. Symbols have a way of reminding us and connecting us and uniting us with truth and community. We are going to experience that on July 23rd at our outdoor baptism event. I hope you'll be there. Symbols, they have the ability to help us understand without having to think. And I don't mean that symbols bypass our brains, but they have a way of getting to that place of understanding so quickly and so naturally, it is as though we didn't even have to think about it. And that's not necessarily a religious thing. That's just a human nature thing. We're designed to think in stories. We're designed to think in symbols and imagery and pictures. And I think we've got an example from modern technology that we get. How many of you guys like to text? Who's a texter? Who likes emojis and GIFs more than texting words? Who's the best GIF master in your household? All right. Why do we like that so much? Because it has this uncanny ability to combine our heads and our hearts and communicate quickly and naturally in a way that words by themselves sometimes just fall short. 
And if you're debating this, if you don't know the, the way it's supposed to be pronounced, if you're not sure if it's Jif or Gif, this is Jif. It's peanut butter. <laughs> this is a Gif, all right? God designed us to think in stories. This is why this is so powerful. And symbols have a way to tell an entire story and an image. And so this is a natural question. Is baptism more symbol or substance? We need to talk about that today. Which one is it? Regardless of your family of origin, our church tradition that maybe you grew up in, every church tradition, just about every, every church out there attaches symbolism and symbolic accessories to baptism. In some ways, baptism is like the car bumper of Christianity. We're all sticking accessories to it. The question is, do you, do, you, do you understand some of that? I mean, let me give you some examples of some of the accessories that we attach to baptism. This began probably in the 3rd, 4th, you see it in the 5th century for sure. Waiting periods became attached to baptism because churches wanted to make sure that people had an opportunity to express the authenticity of their faith and also to be able to understand exactly the decision that they were making when they got baptized. There's also sometimes symbolic or ceremonial locations where people are baptized. We see that with baptismal fonts. Some churches have special baptism clothing. And churches that baptize infants, you see infants wear a special gown. And some churches, you wear a white robe when you're baptized. That's symbolic. In our church, we give away baptism t-shirts like this one that says born again. Churches like ours, we attach things like video stories. We video people telling the story of how they came to faith in Jesus, and we play that at their baptism. Now, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody in any of these different things that get attached. My question is, when we peel back all the layers, what is baptism exactly? Now, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. We just say, Jesus, what do you think about this? That's what I want to think about it. So how does Jesus think about baptism? For my money, there's no clearer, break it down slowly, easy to understand passage about what baptism really is. There's no better passage than Romans chapter 6. It was written by a man we know as the Apostle Paul. He wrote this as a letter to a network of house churches in the city of Rome. And we know what was in that letter. It's recorded in the New Testament book of Romans. I'm going to put it on the screen. We're going to read through it together because I want us to see it together. And as we do, be thinking about our question. Is baptism more symbol or substance? He says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So we're entering the chat in the middle of an important conversation. And this is a conversation that for some people still needs to be had. The Apostle Paul is responding to a way of thinking where people say, okay, I'm a sinner, I've got moral mess-ups, more than I could ever really fully understand or appreciate. And Jesus forgives me for all of that, and that's called grace. So the more I sin, the more forgiveness I get, the more grace I get. So maybe I should just keep sinning to keep the grace train rolling. What a childish perspective. What a toxic attitude. Because it utterly, utterly lacks gratitude. It fails to take into account the impact and the cost of my sin on you and the cost of my sin on me. What does it mean? What does it mean for someone to die to sin? 
it doesn't mean that we lose our ability to sin. I don't know about you, but my ability to sin is still intact. How about yours? Yeah, it is. Apostle Paul was responding to people who had this attitude. I'm forgiven by Jesus. I can do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And whatever that attitude is, it represents an allegiance to self. And what we're going to see in this passage, the Apostle Paul is making clear that baptism is about declaring allegiance to Jesus. It's saying, I'm on his team. I follow him. He's my savior. He's my leader. He's my authority. It's one of the reasons that when we baptize someone, the last question we ask right before we baptize them is it your intention to live for Jesus for the rest of your life. Paul continues. He says, or don't you know that those of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore, what's this word? We were buried. Hang on to that. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You've seen baptisms, you've seen funerals. Is a baptism identical to being buried? No, it's not the same thing. Baptism is representing that we identify with Jesus' death and we are dying to an old way of life. And when that comes into view, we start to see really baptism is symbolizing something profound, isn't it? There are three ways that churches tend to baptize people. One is sprinkling water. The other is pouring water. And the third is lowering somebody completely under the water and bringing them back up. I have no intention of judging any other church or any other person. I have happily baptized people by pouring water. I've done that in this church. And then we especially do that when it's just not an option for someone to get into the tank and go all the way under the water. But out of those three different ways, which one of those best symbolizes, best tells the story of what it means to be buried? Is it being sprinkled? Is it being poured? Or is it being lowered under the water? We could also recognize that being, being baptized is not identical with being raised to new life. And yet that's part of what it pictures. That's part of the story that it tells. And out of those three ways of being baptized, sprinkled or poured or lowered, and brought back up which best represents symbolizing being raised to new life. When we say baptism, it's just an English pronunciation of a Greek word. And the word for that is transliteration. We're just pronouncing in English what was written in Greek. And in Greek, it looks like this, and you would pronounce it baptizo. And it means to dip or to immerse. It also means to plunge or to soak and it wasn't primarily a religious word. If someone drowned, that's the word that was used. If a ship went down at sea, that's the word that was used. Believe it or not, archaeologists have discovered an ancient uh, recipe for pickles from a Greek physician named Nicander, and he used this word right here to describe soaking cucumbers in vinegar. This word is used some 91 times in the New Testament, and this is simply what it means. But there's also another meaning that's become attached to it, and it's the concept or the idea of identification. You know that there are places around the world where people are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. It's something that's common in some of these countries when someone turns away from whatever religion they were born into and they express faith in Jesus. Persecution actually does not begin until they get baptized. 
Because that's when people in their community recognize that they are identifying with Jesus. Who and what we identify with is important. That's why some of you wear some jerseys and not others. That's why some of you wear some brands and not others. It's why some of you drive certain types of cars and not others. Who and what we identify with is so incredibly important. It's just a universal part of the human experience. And baptism is saying, I identify with Jesus. I'm on his team. He is my authority and I follow him. If you were to read all of Romans, which I hope that you do, these are some of the things you would notice In the earlier part of Romans, the Apostle Paul emphasizes, Jesus died for me. He took my place. That's substitution. In the later part of Romans, he emphasizes, we died with him. That's identification. In the earlier part of Romans, the Apostle Paul emphasizes, Jesus paid sin's penalty. That's justification. He's given us a new status of forgiven and holy. And the Next half of Romans, Paul emphasizes Jesus broke sin's power. That's sanctification that I'm now able to grow into and live out this new status that Jesus has given me. Baptism is not just a religious act. It's not just a churchy thing that we do. It tells a deeply profound story of moving from death into life. That Jesus did for me what I could never do for me. And he's given me a brand new status and I am free. That is the story that baptism tells. Paul continues. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. There's a theologian and a seminary professor who I like to follow, and he recently said something that really summarizes this passage that Paul has written for us. And I wanted us to, I wanted us to remember it, so I'm asking you to write this down. If you're a note taker, write this down. Baptism moves us from I believe to we believe. It's not just individual. It's communal. Baptism is simultaneously about the individual and the greater congregation, and the church. Whenever we're baptized, we're telling our story of what Jesus did for us, but that story is also bigger than us because any time that you are baptized, you are preaching the gospel in an encouraging way to the larger church community. When you're baptized, you are preaching the gospel to people in the community who don't yet know Jesus. And I can totally understand this question. Why someone would say, Rick, why is this a big deal? Why should I get baptized? But as it comes into view, as it comes into focus, and we understand what it is, that question naturally evolves into, why wouldn't I get baptized? But there are other questions too. And there are probably other questions that we have to navigate in order to help us all get to a place where we understand and we're ready to, to take that step. Here's a question. What about infant baptism? This is a big part of the culture in which we live. Jesus loved children. Jesus embraced children. He welcomed children and he told his disciples and by extension us that we should welcome children as well. But I want to ask, have you ever noticed something that's missing in the New Testament? Have you ever noticed that Jesus never said that 
young children or infants should be baptized. Have you ever noticed that there is not one story ever of an infant or a very young child being baptized? There's no instructions about baptizing infants or very young children. And I'm just asking, why do you think, if this is something that God wants his people to do, if that's what he wanted, why would it be missing from the New Testament? What we do find in the New Testament is that every time someone is baptized, it's always connected to repentance and expressing belief. It's always connected to repentance and expressing belief. People were baptized as an expression of repentance or belief, or they were baptized shortly after they repented and expressed belief in Jesus. And the idea that baptism is connected to repentance and expressing belief, that is called believer's baptism. Our church has lots of wonderful, cute little babies, and we got more on the way. And if you got a baby, we love your baby, and you got a cute little baby. But I don't believe that we have any babies in our church who are able to say, you know what, I'd like to repent for my sins. Mom, I should have let you sleep last night. <laughs> I, as wonderful and as cute as your baby is, we don't have any babies who are yet able to say, I believe. Isn't it true that ba infant baptism is an expression of the parent's faith, not the child's faith? If you've ever been to an infant baptism, it was the parent's faith that was on display, not the child's faith. Tertullian was uh, from the second century. He was a church leader, an apologist, a theologian from Africa. And he, he said this. He might be the very first person in human history to write down the idea that where you were born and who you were born to does not primarily identify who you are spiritually. You get to choose. He said this, a man becomes a Christian, he is not born one. We could say this, there are baby Christians. There are no Christian babies. Baby Christians are those people of any age who are new in their faith and they're growing and maturing. But there are no Christian babies babies. And for folks in the room and those of you who are watching us online and you were baptized as an infant, don't you think it would be honoring and fair to say that when your parents baptized you, it was their hope that one day that you would express faith for yourself, that you would own your faith for yourself. And if you've come to a place where you believe in Jesus, not because of the family you were born in, but because you have chosen to trust in and follow Jesus, that if you get baptized as an expression of that, it is a validation of what your parents began, not a repudiation of it. Thank God for your mom and dad who wanted to start you off pointing you towards Jesus. And for anyone who is baptized as an infant, we would never put that. We would never put that in the category of not good enough. Instead, we would put that in the category of before you believed. And if believer's baptism is like a wedding ring, maybe we should think of infant baptism like an engagement ring. And if you've come to faith in Jesus, if you've chosen to follow him for yourself, it would be an appropriate thing. It would be the right thing. It would be a beautiful thing for you to publicly tell that story through baptism. Which leads us to our next question. 
who exactly should get baptized? Well, I thought we could, we could answer this question by wrong answers only. <laughs> wrong answers only, who should get baptized? If you believe, this will earn God's love and acceptance. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love and acceptance. You receive that by faith in Jesus. If you believe, God will bless you more. You are fully blessed in Christ. There's nothing that you could do to get more blessings from God than what Jesus gives you when you receive by faith. Wrong answers only. If you feel like you're finally worthy enough. But baptism tells the story of I'm not good enough. Jesus was good enough for me. I'm not worthy. He's the one who's worthy. And because I am a sinner and I have no hope in myself, all my hope is in him. There is no need to feel worthy because he is the one who is worthy. The baptism is about declaring that. Wrong answers only. If you believe this will get you into heaven. Baptism does not get anybody into heaven. The only way in is by being in Christ, trusting him by faith. Can I give you another wrong answer? It's a little provocative. Is it okay? If you're simply trying to join or fit in with the church. And this is where some people might say, Rick, you are a hypocrite. And the reason some people might feel that way, the reason you might feel that way, is because our church has something called membership. And to be a member at Autumn Ridge, we're asking a couple of things. One, that you would say, I am a follower of Jesus. And because it's important to Jesus, because he commanded it, I have expressed that through believer's baptism. Now, everybody is welcome at our church. Everybody is wanted at our church. It's a big deal to us that you're here. Even if you disagree with us about everything, we love that you're here. Membership isn't a way of being more accepted or acceptable. Membership is entering a relationship of mutual expectation. We believe that every single one of you, whether you've been here 50 years or five minutes, you have the right to expect things of us as a church and church leadership. But when someone becomes a church member, they're raising their hand and they're saying, I'm giving you permission to expect certain things of me. And primarily, you can count on me to join you in this church's mission. You can count on me to live and act like a follower of Jesus. And if today you're saying, Rick, I'm not convinced. I don't think baptism is that big a deal. I don't think I should have to get baptized. I would never ask you to go against your better judgment. What I would ask you to do is look to and follow Jesus. And simply because Jesus made this a big deal, that it would become a big deal to you. And that you would follow him in that, not because of what I say or because anybody else says, but simply because you love and follow Jesus. I got one more wrong answer. Wrong answers only. If you think this girl at church is a smoke show and you want her to date you. <laughs> you think I'm playing. I've been doing this a while. People do that. Let me tell you why you don't want to do that. Let me tell you why you don't want to do that. You don't want to just do a checklist. You don't want to go through the motions. And you know why? Because you don't want a relationship that started off based on pretend. You don't want a relationship that started off based on a lie. Nobody wants that relationship. It's never a good relationship where you have to pretend to be someone you're not or to pretend to believe something that you don't believe. I want better for you than that. So who should get baptized? Why, do, why does anybody get baptized? It's this. Baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you have decided 
I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. There's no hope in my religious performance. There's no hope in my moral performance. My only hope is in what Jesus has done for me, and I'm following him, then you should be baptized. And this leads us to an important conversation for kiddos and for parents, because whenever we have a, a big baptism celebration, it's normal for kids to look at that and say, I want to do that too. And moms and dads, that can sometimes put us in a tough spot, can it? Because we don't let our kids pick their bedtime. How are we going to let them pick something that's going to define them for the rest of their life? There's a real tension there. And I'm going to tell you my opinion does not come from the Bible. You should not, there's no reason you should take my opinion seriously. I'm just going to tell you my opinion. I'm way more comfortable with asking kids to wait till they're about 12 years old because I want them to be in a place where they can really understand what we're talking about. But I'm also a hypocrite because I baptized my daughter well before 12. She made a profession of faith and she wanted to get baptized and I kept holding her off and trying to avoid it and saying no, 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 because I, because I wanted to make sure she understood. I didn't want there to be a false sense of hope. And one day she just said, Dad, I love Jesus and you won't let me show it. So I said, all right, you're getting baptized. She's going into her junior year of college, and her faith is such a profound part of who she is. And so moms and dads, you are the primary spiritual leader for your kids. Not me, not anybody else. It's you. And we honor you. And we honor that role that you fulfill. And if you are persuaded that your son or your daughter understands all that's entailed, then we support your decision to allow them to be baptized. But if you're hesitant or if you're not sure, if you have some measure of doubt, that's okay too. It is wise and healthy to ask them to wait and to continue to encourage them on nurturing this direction in which they are moving. Baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision of understanding what Jesus has done for us and putting all of our faith in him. This is why we find things like this over and over in the New Testament. This is an excerpt from a sermon that the Apostle Peter gave. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if there is a verse in the New Testament that's going to confuse people on what baptism is about, it might be this one. Because it reads like, For the forgiveness of your sins, that sounds like I have to be baptized so that I can be forgiven. It's helpful for us to remember that the preposition for can mean a lot of different things. That's true in Greek and our own language. If you had a headache and you said, hey, does anybody have any aspirin? And I gave you two aspirin. I said, here's a couple of aspirin for your headache. Am I saying, here's two aspirin so that you can have a headache? Or am I saying, here's two aspirin because you already have one? This Preposition in Greek can mean on the account of or because of. So it's fair to read it like, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, because of the forgiveness of your sins, because of what Jesus has made available, and you are receiving that by faith. I've got a road trip coming up this week. And a couple of days ago, I was double-checking all of my hotel reservations, and I discovered that I reserved a hotel on the wrong day, and so my family doesn't have a place to stay at a key moment on our, on our drive across the country. Um, and so I thought, I'm going to fix this real quickly. So I pulled out my phone, got on my Expedia app, 
Can't cancel it. I've already paid. There's no refund. So I'm chatting with a customer service representative. And they tell me through the chat feature that there's nothing that they can do that I have to call the hotel directly. So I did. Talked to a really nice guy named Angelo. Super cool. But you know what he told me? He said, you've already paid for it. We've got a no cancellation policy. We can get you a new day, but you're going to have to pay for another room. So I got off the phone, super frustrated, not mad at anybody else. I'm mad at me. I'm the one who made the mistake. 30 seconds later, my phone starts ringing. It's a customer service rep from Expedia. She had monitored the chat and called me and just said, Mr. Henderson, I, I would, I'd like to see if I can help you with your problem. She said, I'm going to call you back in a few minutes. She called the hotel, talked to the hotel, got them to change the date to make sure that we have the hotel room for the right day, waived all the cancellation fee, and got me a discount and a refund. <laughs> How cool is that? So she called me. She told me that. I could not wait to tell my wife the story, even though part of the story included the fact that I'm a dummy and made a mistake. <laughs> Isn't that what baptism is? I messed up. Somebody else fixed it, and I want to tell you about it. I messed up. Jesus fixed it, and I want to tell you about it. How about you? If that's your story, that Jesus fixed it, will you tell people about it? That's what baptism is. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for this tremendous gift of baptism. In a way that sometimes our words fall short, that it can be hard to fully capture all that you have done for us and all the joy and the gratitude we have for what's been done for us by what Jesus did. That you have given us baptism as a way to tell the story. And we are grateful. I want to pray for anyone in this room or watching online and they're thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus, I pray that, that they would let go of fear and anxiety and put all of their hope in Jesus. For people who have done that but have been hesitant, that they would let go of their fear and anxiety and join together with us and we could celebrate together their story through baptism. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.